It's good to be with you this morning. Um, Greetings from my wife and children. I know my wife would love to be here, particularly since um, I was sitting right next to the fellow bombs, which were uh, fellow Villa Parkers as well. Uh, We attended the same church. It was good to see them. This is the month of Ramadan for the Muslim and the Muslim calendar. Uh, it is a time in which Muslims are dedicating the time to imitate what Muhammad did, which was uh, one month of prayer and fasting. The time is uh, started. We're now into day eight of the month of Ramadan. Uh, it is a time which is an auspicious time in the Muslim calendar. It's a time in which they are supposed to read through the Quran, which is about the size of the New Testament during this time, during the night hours. Uh, they do the fast from sunrise to sunset. And uh, then from that point on, they break the fast with figs and uh, meal together. And it's it's almost like a time of Christmas and Easter and all of the holidays rolled together. And it's a time of great celebration, a time of great feasting, a time of getting together with others. And uh, it goes into the wee hours of the morning uh, before the fast then ends or the before the feasting ends and the fasting begins. I just want to make you aware of that uh, there is uh, for a Quite in years running now, put out by uh, YWAM, 30-day Muslim prayer focus, in which it takes a different people group, a different country in the Muslim world, giving you information about them and how to pray for them. Today is the prayer for um, Amman, or not Amman, but uh, Oman, and uh, it's day number eight, and just calling for people to pray. Uh, if you don't have one of these, you can easily go onto the website, which would be www.30dayprayerfocus.com, and uh, you can get each day's prayer focus uh, as that sort of unveils, and uh, you can continue to pray. And I think that prayer is one of the great responses to Islam. Islam has been in the news almost daily. In uh, just this week, I went on and uh, checked what were some of the titles in newspapers. Uh, One was the religion of Islam is now or it is the Quran is the motivation for suicide bombers was one of the titles. Another title was slaughtering in Darfur, where in Sudan it is Muslims against Muslims. Another one was titled war on terrorism. Those of you that watch Nightline, almost nightly there is an update on the war as well as on Islam and some of the things that are going on, particularly with the insurgents. Just recently, there's been the Pope's remarks, which, uh, like the cartoons, has been a reaction throughout the Muslim world in regards to this. And uh, that, again, fills our newspapers. If you go to the Barnes and Nobles or to some of the bookstores and you were to go to the titles uh, in Islam prior to September 11th, 2001, that would probably be a section of about 10 books. Now you go into Barnes and Nobles or some of these places and there is myriads of books and there will be some of the time. And here's some of the titles I just found. uh, Islamic Threat. Jihad, the sword of the prophet, uh, the Islam and terrorism. There was a dummy's guide for Islam and that type of thing. 
websites have started cropping up all over the place. And some of the titles that you would see are Jihad Watch, Demi Watch, Middle East Forum. There is all kinds of rhetoric that's going on between those that say that Islam is peace and those that say that Islam is terror. And there's all kinds of opinions going on. In fact, there's one website that is called the religion of peace. And uh, he has taken it from the remarks probably of President Bush and saying and some of the others religious leaders that say Islam is the religion of peace. And they monitor all of the activity that's being done by Muslims uh, in regards to terrorist attacks for September 17th through 23rd last week. This is what he had on that website. There were 60 Islamic terrorist attacks resulting in 428 deaths. Most of those are Muslims. There were 900 or 419 injured. Most of those are Muslim. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, who are these Muslims and How are we as Christians supposed to respond? Uh, If we were to listen and look at the media, we would probably find a myriad of opinions and probably be even more confused than uh, anywhere else. But God has given us the proper response to threats in the book of Jonah. And if we compare Jonah's response to God's response to these threats, as outlined in the book of Jonah, we will know better how to respond to Islam and any other threat that might come along. So let's look in the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning again, as we have done many times this morning, we praise and thank you for who you are. But now, in particular, as we look at your word, we would ask that you would speak to us by your spirit, through your word, so that we might be a people of God that would bring honor and glory to your name. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Just a little bit of an update as to uh, what Muslims and what Islam is all about. Muhammad was born and lived during the time of 570 A.D. to 622 A.D. So therefore, he came after Christ. What is sort of unique about uh, the Islamic faith is that as Muhammad grew and went traveling around, he would meet people from other different places sitting around through campfires on caravans, uh, trading caravans that we go through and he would hear stories of Christians and Christianity and Old Testament uh, stories, particularly from the Jews, because in that area there were uh, a good number of Jews. And as he listened to all of these things, he uh, understood that there was one God and in Mecca, there was a myriad of gods uh, that would be paraded. And during the time of a special celebration, once a year, all of these idols of over 360 idols would be paraded out. And it was a time of of economic prosperity for Mecca and Muhammad, as he was looking and reflecting on all of these things he had seen and heard um, God was had come to him and said that there was really only one God. And he preached a message that there was one God and that there needed to be repentance to that God. And that sounds very much like an Old Testament message 
of repentance and turning to one God. And he was against all of the other idols that was there. And because of that, there was great persecution that rose against Muhammad because uh, he was going against the traitors and the leaders and officials of the town of Mecca. Uh, Prophet Muhammad, as he gave his message, uh, really it was the last 23 years of his life from 610 to 632 that these messages were coming. And they came to him uh, first, very few messages at the very beginning. And he thought maybe he might have been demon possessed or possessed by some kind of spirit. And his wife, Khadija, said, no, not at all. Uh, You are a good man. And this is a message from God. So he was encouraged by his wife. The. The Quran is the main text that was given to him by revelation of the angel Jabril or Gabriel. Uh, and they were given by piecemeal uh, sections. And he, as soon as he would receive these releva- revelations, he would then uh, speak these rele- revelations. And his disciples and devotees and followers would then record these on whatever they had around and try to commit them to memory. And that then became what is uh, been put together in the Quran and the Quran was given in Arabic and therefore is to be done in Arabic and the prayers are to be done in Arabic. In fact, Arabic is the language of of God. It is the language in which you do your prayers. It's the language that so many young people, particularly when they are very young and trying to memorize the Quran, it has to be done in Arabic and not in any other language. But the majority of Muslims in the world are non-Arabic speaking. So they are learning a language that they don't know and reciting something that they don't know, much like within Catholicism uh, prior to uh, Vatican II, where the Latin mass was done in a language that people didn't understand. It became a holy language, a language that became very special. Uh, And it, it seems that the more you don't know, the holier that becomes. Uh, and then the Quran itself in reading it is is hard to understand, but uh, they look to the life of Muhammad as a prophet. He was the proper example of the best submitted person of who could follow this religion of Islam. So out of that developed a whole body of literature, which is called the Hadiths. And the Hadiths are the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, the things that he said and did. So during the month of Ramadan, which is going on right now, one of the things that Muslims will do is try to imitate Muhammad in everything that he did, from the way he brushed his teeth, the way that he entered in a home, the way that he would greet somebody, because these were reflections of a person who was submitted to God. And then out of that as well developed, well, how do you de- how do you run? How do you live as a Muslim community? And and there developed a whole set of laws which have been called Sharia laws. And these were the way to govern society so that you would be a perfect society, a society following after God, a society that would be just and right in everything that it does. So Sharia law became uh, very prominent. And uh, Sharia uh, is extremely important for the Muslim. One of the big things that we as Christians, I think, misunderstand of Islam is for Christianity, orthodoxy, which is doctrine, is very important for the truth of of the word of God transforms us. 
For the Muslim, they're not so much focused on orthodoxy as they are focused on orthopraxy. It's what you are supposed to do that's important. So you do the five pillars of Islam, the prayers, the fasting, the Hajj, going to Mecca uh, once in a lifetime. Uh, these are the things that are, are important. So um, Islam is this idea of setting up a society that is right. The problem is that in Muslim countries, Sharia law does not exist or it's been relegated only to family practice and issues of the family, of divorce um, and, and that kind of thing. And it is not ruling the government. So Muslims are looking at the, what is taking place in Muslim countries in which the economy is bad, the uh, human rights violations are poor, the, um, the state and situation of education and life in the Muslim country, the politics, the, the social life, uh, and the religious conditions are not favorable. And, and they look at that and say, well, there's got to be a reason why. And they think... And they look at it and say the reason why is because Sharia law has been relegated to just a small portion of life. And if we could only get back to the time of Muhammad, if we could only get back to that time when everything was right, then there would be good and just and righteous society. So Islam right now is going through a very difficult time in their, their life as they're figuring out how does this work out. And in that process, there's tremendous violence that's going on and had gone on in Muslim lands for a long time. And as they're trying to do it, and as I've gone through these statistics, most of those that were being killed and injured are Muslims on Muslims. But they've also looked to the West and said, you're also culprits in this whole thing, and we want you no longer to influence us. And now we've been getting some of that. Hence comes the threat of Islam. An Islamic resurgency. So then the question we need to ask ourselves, uh, all of us have sensed this. We are in a war. But how do we as Christians respond? I think that the book of Jonah gives us several kinds of responses. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Jonah. And here we see Jonah's first response to threats is found in uh, chapter one, verses one and two. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Jonah's response. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port after paying the fare, he went on board, sailed to, for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah's first response was to run and hide. There is a threat. It was the Assyrians. The Assyrians were threatening on the border of, of Israel. And his idea was, at that point in time, let me get out of here. I'm not going to deal with this. Why would he do that? John Bright, in his book on uh, the history of Israel, sort of lays out a little bit of the attitude that was found in Israel at that time. Uh, first of all, there was a sense that 
Israel had great national pride. The Jews possessed the law, and because they possessed God's law, they were above all other people in the area. The Jews also had the privileged status because they were now the people of God, a holy nation. Everybody else was not. The Jews spoke the language of creation and the Hebrew language. It was the language of God. Jerusalem was considered the center of the earth. And uh, everything else revolved around them. And Israel just could not mix itself with the nations. They were to remain pure. And there was just very little concern for the welfare of the heathens and sinners on the outside. There was a sense of self-preservation from all outside forces and influence. And here God said, go to your enemy. The wickedness of that area was well known. And Jonah just said, I am a prophet in Israel. And at that time, Jeroboam II was king. And there was a lot of wickedness in Israel. And he said, we need to preach here. Why do I go to my enemies? So he was fearful of that whole thing. And he didn't want to do it because he knew that if there was repentance, there could be prosperity, which would mean that the Assyrians would gain an upper hand because he knew that judgment was looming on Israel. So the first way and first response was to run and hide. Well, let me ask this question. Do any of these attitudes of Israel sort of reflect people that you know here in the United States or possibly someone here in the congregation. I was in one church and I heard a man say that he didn't want to interact with any Muslims. He was just so angry and he just wouldn't talk to him. He wouldn't give them the time of day. Uh, some of the other responses is just you don't even know that they even exist. You just pass them by. The there's a Muslim man who um, had written a report for the Intelligence on Terrorism Information Center. And the title of the report is called Arab Criticism of Muslim Extremist Activities in the West. Dr. Ahmad Abu Matar, at the end of the article, gives an indictment as to why the terrorism is taking place. And he has three indictments. Number one was those special interest groups that have a goal to spread hostility and hatred among Muslim workers and refugees. That was indictment number one. Indictment number two was that the Arab and Muslim countries have capitulated to the madness of these religious groups. Indictment number three, Western countries have turned a blind eye. They've turned and run.
What was God's response to Jonah? It's kind of interesting. And after using a little bit of strong arm tactics and a, a fish and a storm along the way, God's response to Jonah is found in chapter three, verse one and two. Then the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. God was saying, Jonah, go and be salt and light. And I don't care what it is. Be salt and light wherever I lead you and whatever come. I want you to go to the storm and be salt and light. I think that the response that we need to do is not to do nothing. But from the Old Testament through to the New Testament, God has always said, don't run from the conflict, run to it and be salt and light. Are you willing to be salt and light? There's a second response found in the book of Jonah. Uh, That is found in uh, chapter three, verses four. Uh, Jonah, it says on the first day, Jonah started out and he went to the city of Nineveh and he proclaimed for 40 days, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overturned. It was a message of judgment. And. uh, just sort of to catch a little bit more of the idea, if you go over to four, chapter four, verse five, Jonah went out, sat down on the place east of the city. There he made for himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah's response was turn or burn. God's got it for you. You deserve it. You're wicked And therefore, God's going to bring his wrath like we've seen all along in the history of of God dealing with wicked people in the world. The Assyrians were a military threat. They were wicked. In fact, if you even look uh, up in regards to the response in chapter three, when the king of Nineveh and of the Assyrians saw this, he said that. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. It was all violence that was taking place in the land. The Assyrians were the typical kinds of oppressors. They would use occupation, deportation, taxation without representation. Um, They would gain economic value from the territories that they take over. And they would also suppress them so that they would not fight back again. And in light of that, Jonah went and therefore he went with a message. God's got it out for you. Is there a segment of our society that goes around judging Islam? Saying, you are a wicked nation, a wicked people. I will have nothing to do with you. 
I would have to say that one of the most disappointing things is a book that has been recently written by a missionary or a missionary statesman, and I won't use his name. But the book is an absolute strong indictment against Islam, saying nothing positive at all. And as you read that, the response that normally would take place would be it would fuel any kind of hatred and judgmental attitude that anybody would have. And that is a book that I am very sorry was ever written by an evangelical Christian. That is not the response. That's the second response of Jonah. What was God's response to this? It's it's written between it's written between the the verses. But it's clear if you think about it. After Jonah gave the message of judgment. Chapter three, verse five, it says the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. For those of you who have been studying the Bible and are Bible scholars here in this church, sat under the teaching of Pastor Carol. Can a person respond to God without God enabling them by his spirit to respond to him? Did you catch the question? Can a person respond to God without God first enabling them to respond to him? If we could, we would have done it long ago, but God himself has got to initiate and enable people to respond. What was God's response to Jonah's judgment? It was to work in the hearts and the lives of the Ninevites so that they would respond in repentance to him. That's the way that God responded. And not only that, God, if you read in Romans chapter one, it talks about God's general revelation in which people know by what has been clear within nature of God's righteousness. Though they don't act on it, but they know it. So Jonah came along and said, this is what God's going to do because of your wickedness. And God worked on the hearts and lives of the people so that they responded to him. And they repented. There's an interesting thing in the Muslim world. What is God doing between the lines? ISNA, which is the Islamic Association of North America, holds its convention in the Rosemont Theater or Rosemont Convention Center right outside of Air, uh, O'Hare Airport. And uh, one of the topics was between rage and apathy, the right response to injustice. And in the promo for this workshop at this Islamic conference, it was saying that 
we Muslims have not acted correctly in response to the cartoons of Muhammad and other things. And we need we've made a terrible job and we have got to do better. And this was a seminar on how to react better. There is also a website that I have here. And for those of you that are computer geeks, you can go to www.faithfreedom.org. The header on this website says this. Faith Freedom International is a grassroots movement of ex-Muslims. Its goal is to prove that Islam is an imperialistic ideology akin to Nazism disguised as religion and to help Muslims leave it and join the fold of humanity. We strive for the unity of mankind through the elimination of a major doctrine of hate. This is a Muslim website of ex-Muslims. You read the testimonies, most of them have not come to know Christ. What they're doing is saying, we know general revelation and we see what is wrong and we are trying to respond to that. If we don't go to them, how can they respond to God? working in the world. They already recognize many of the things that are going on are things that are their problems, problems within their community. But we also need to work in tandem with what God is doing between the lines of newspapers and bring a message so that there can be repentance. Jonah focused only on the negative, calling for judgment out of self-preservation. God in his righteousness responds by calling people from sin to repentance. That is the message we need to give. It's easy to condemn a people that you've never met. What we need to do is to go out to the people and show and be the presence of Christ. We are doing a teaching in. Um, well, I'll, I'll need to go on here to press on to the next point. There's a third response. Which is. Found in. Chapter four. Verse 10 and 11. But the Lord said, you have a concern about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh is more than a hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. In many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about that great city? The third response was God's redemptive nature. God is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes his children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. 
It's kind of interesting. Jonah's charge to God was the very nature of God himself. In four, chapter four, verse two, if I were to put it in the modern vernacular, this is what Jonah said. God, you just don't understand it. You are weak. You're going to forgive people and you just don't understand that these people are wicked and they need punishment. You are forgiving and compassionate and that's your problem, God. And God says, well, that's who I've always been. I've declared it from Exodus on. This is who I am. In fact, Paul makes it very clear that says that if you judge you judge yourself because you do the same things that the others do. So the first response of God is this redemption. And we see it because God is also concerned with the messenger. Time and time again, God confronts Jonah in his rebelliousness and his self-centeredness and asks him, why are you angry about this vine? Why are you upset over these things? Shouldn't you be upset over something that's far greater? And he helps Jonah work through his anger issues. And, you know, it was sort of the same thing that Jesus had to confront with the sons of thunder who wanted to call down judgment on the Samaritans. We've been having that all throughout history. It's been a normal response. And God's response is, no, I am compassionate. I am forgiving. And he wants us to understand his redemptive message. My question to you is. Do you have trouble in your own life? Where you have the anger and frustration and yet, you know, that God is calling you to love and compassion and you don't know what to do with the two. Could I ask that today you lay that before God and it might mean that you have to stay after and pray, but don't leave this place until you say, God, I want your redemptive spirit to be active in me and take the anger and judgment from me so that I don't see people from a threat point and self-centered point, but that I see people as you see them which is a people that can't understand their right hand from their left hand. I have been studying Islam ever since I've been ministering to Muslims since 1985. And in any time before, from when I started till now, as I talk with Muslims, the more and more I find out they are absolutely confused as to how to get out of the situation they're in. And as I read this, I say... They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They want to do right and good, but they've got no clue as to how to do it. And God is saying to us, you've got the answer. Will you go to them and help them through? How should Christians respond to the threat that's been looming before us since September 11th? 
first reaction is to run and hide. If we do that and we do nothing, it just goes on and on. And God's response is go to it and be salt and light. Second response is no, but they're wicked. They they need judgment. And to that, God says, no, they need repentance. To self-centeredness, God says, redemption needs to take hold because they are clueless. And if you're struggling with any of these kinds of reactions, I know that God, like with Jonah, will want to help you through that. And that is something that cannot happen from the pulpit. That is only something that happens between you and God as you come before him and say, I need you to work in my life just like you worked in Jonah's life. And God is willing to do it. Are you willing to lay yourself before him? And then go. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had together. Lord Jesus, we... We are human. We we are frail. We struggle with our emotions. We struggle with things. We are inundated by all kinds of ideas. But Lord, you've you've laid out a way for us in the book of Jonah as to how to respond. In our frailty, we lay ourselves before you, Lord, and we ask that you would do a miracle of grace in our own lives. So that we might be able to be salt and light so that we might work in tandem with you so that there is repentance so that redemption and reconciliation can take place. We lay ourselves before you for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.